Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. We are this week, we are going to begin our series on 1 Corinthians. And I've been excited. I've been looking forward to this. 1 Corinthians has got just, just a powerful punch when it comes to talking about all sorts of things inside and outside the church. And it, it talks, it, the, the range of subjects covered by the book of 1 Corinthians is astonishing. That in so, so few chapters, Paul is able to condense so many different things and really bring application of God's word to them. And so I'm excited about this, starting this, uh, this series on 1 Corinthians. I've been looking forward to this. I think as a church, it's going to be really helpful and instructive to us. I'm looking forward to specifically forward to the part where they talk about the spiritual gifts. Because we are, as a church, we are a charismatic people. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit are for today. And so this gives us a, a really helpful understanding of what does that mean to be a charismatic people, to be a charismatic church, and how do those giftings get worked out in the context of the body of believers. And so I'm looking forward to that especially, which comes later in the book. But if you want to turn with me over to 1 Corinthians, we're going to begin 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. This morning we're going to verses 1 through uh, verse 9. So, by way of introduction, has anyone ever read this, my ABC Bible verse book? To your children, does anyone ha- does anyone have this book? Frank, you guys have this book. Sarah, okay. This book is an excellent, excellent resource for parents. This goes through a story of two little children and their and their parents, and it talks about applying God's word to all these different situations. And as you go through, you learn a Bible verse for every letter of the alphabet, and you'd be surprised at how by the end you pretty much know almost all twenty six of the letters in the corresponding verses. It's, it's phenomenal, especially to see like a two- or three-year-old child who's just learning to talk, learning the Bible verses. It's, it's quite amazing. But here's the thing. The letter D in this children's book is, is, do, is D, do all things without complaining and disputing. All right, Philippians 2.14. And so we have gone over with these verses with our children a thousand times. And we've applied this verse to every imaginable situation, right? Whether it's the food they eat or how hot it is outside or getting along with their siblings. On and on and on. All we need to do is we need to say to even Addie, who's 10 now, all we need to say is, Addie, what's the letter D? And she knows exactly what we're talking about. Because we've applied this thing over and over and over again. And we do have to do this. We have to, be, we have to remind our kids, we have to keep reminding them about the importance of God's word and what God has to say in regards to all these things over and over and over again. It's amazing. It's like those, those, some of those verses, like we go, we'll talk about those things, even though we went through that, I think when Addie was maybe three or four. I mean, we was ten, six, six years later, we're still going through those verses. But here's the thing. Even as adults, we need the same thing, don't we? It's not just for kids who need to hear God's word applied in different situations. 
We need that as well. We need God's word applied to the, the different situations in our lives, even if it's similar situations over and over and over again. We need to hear God's word applied. And we need to do this for all sorts of information as adults. I was thinking just recently, as my wife and I were, were on our way to, uh, to go to a timeshare meeting, right? Because over the phone, they offered us, okay, look, tonight we are, someone at the timeshare meeting is going to win a brand new car and a brand new TV. And so on our way over, we're like, okay, okay. We know better. We know if there's like 10 people at the meeting, they're not giving away free cars to, you know, one in 10. It's like we got to, that just doesn't happen. Stuff like that doesn't work ever. So I'm just warning you all now that you don't get TVs, you don't get cars. Everyone, everyone knows better, right? But yet we need to keep telling ourselves that it's foolish to, to think we're going to get something for, for nothing, right? At this time stream, we're going to, to show up, sit there for an hour, high-pressure sales, we say no, and then, okay, here's a car, right? That doesn't, it doesn't work that way ever. We need, a, we need that applied, those truths applied to our lives as well. Well, what the Apostle Paul does in the book of 1 Corinthians is he takes the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, of his life and his death and his resurrection, and he, he begins to apply that to all different areas of life. He begins to apply that to all different situations in, inside the church as people are coming together as a, as a body of believers and there's disorder in the worship and there's, there's people suing one another and there's people visiting prostitutes and there's idolatry all over the place. He begins to take these same old truths that they all knew and have all heard. He says, look, I'm going to, like a faithful father... I'm going to begin to apply these scriptures over and over and over again because we need to be reminded of what God's word has to say to us. And so that's what the Apostle Paul begins to do in the book of 1 Corinthians. And I love how he does this because what he does, in essence, is he takes everyone's attention. He's like, wait, let me get everyone's attention right now. Let's focus our attention to Jesus Christ. He gets everyone's attention. Look, let's focus our gaze upon Jesus Christ. In all these situations, you've got problems with order and worship, let's look at Jesus. There's, we, we're, we're having trouble with immorality in the church, let's look to Jesus. Look, you're suing one another, let's look, at, let's look to Jesus. And so in everything, what he does is he takes their attention and focus and brings it back to Jesus Christ over and over and over again. So that's what we're going to do with, these, with this series. We're going to begin to look at all the things that were happening in the, first, in the church in 1 Corinthians and say, how does he bring their attention back to Jesus every single week, in every situation? The focus of their attention that Paul does as a faithful father says, let's together look at Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful thing as we begin to see this unpacked because it has application for our lives as well. It wasn't just good news for the, for the church in Corinth. This is good news for us. Because the ministry that was taking place in, in Corinth is the same kind of ministry that we need to experience and need to help one, one another with. Just as Paul is pointing the church back to Jesus, really the substance of our ministry is one of pointing each other back to Jesus Christ over and over and over again. As we sit together and talk together and reason together with one another. 
The substance of our ministry towards one another is one of pointing each other in our, in our actions and in our words back to Jesus Christ again. That's, that's the, the, the substance of our ministry towards one another. Paul, in, this, in, this, in these verses, in these chapters, he's absolutely obsessed with Jesus Christ. And it's so beautiful to see how he unpacks all of this. Now, this church, like I said, was a huge mess. The reason that we know in some ways what church should look like is because these guys did it wrong. So they screwed it up, and then we get, to, we get the benefits of seeing how do we then adjust and how do we fix what was going on then so we can apply that to our lives in our corporate body today. So I want to just, by way of introduction as well to the, the book of 1 Corinthians, I want to just do a quick, quick summary kind of context for you to understand what the church, what they were experiencing in their culture and in their world then at that time, okay? So I'm going to go through this quickly, but I wanted to give us the context for the book of, of 1 Corinthians, okay? So Corinth was on the southern part of Greece on the isthmus that separates the Corinthian Gulf from the Saronic Gulf. So if you can see there, there's, there's two gulfs on either side. And all the traffic from Athens in northern Greece would travel through Corinth, right? Now, there isn't, there isn't a, a water passageway, but what they would do is they would either take ships that were smaller, put them on rollers, and roll them across this four-mile peninsula to get to the other side. Or what they would do is they would have porters who would take all the, the materials from, from one boat, bring it across the four-mile straight, and then put it onto another boat. And so if you can imagine, there's a city right in the middle of this thing where basically most of the materials and supplies that were traveling across the Mediterranean world would travel through this city. So you can imagine there's, there's great opportunity for wealth, for business, for all kinds of commerce going on, goods and, and services being sold and traded and, and, and work. So there, there's all kinds of stuff going on. And so this made Corinth one of the greatest trading commercial centers of the ancient world. It was a city of commerce, prosperity, affluence. Goods were brought in from all over the world. And it really gave people an opportunity to make something of themselves. If you can imagine, this was like a hotbed. This was a, this was a, a place where maybe you had nothing. You can go there and make something of yourself, make, make a good living for yourself. I mean, it had all the opportunities that you could imagine because as businesses are growing, um, all kinds of opportunities are growing. It was a great place for people to go there and, and really have an opportunity to make a better life for themselves and their families. But there was also a darker side to Corinth. And if you can imagine, you throw a whole bunch of sailors into a place, it's going to be pretty nasty, right? Travis, is that right? Okay, you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. There's a darker side to Corinth. There is actually a word that was uh, invented, or a word that was um, that was uh, given to capture this kind of Corinthian uh, experience. And I'm not going to say the word; this is a long word. But basically, this word in Greek means to live. It means to live like a Corinthian, right? So you're, but this also meant to live in a drunken and immoral debauchery. So you can imagine, right? You'd be like saying, oh, you, you live like someone from Las Vegas or something, you know, something like that, where 
There, it's, it's known as a party city. It's known as a place where anything goes. It's, you know, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. I mean, it's just, there's all kinds of stuff going on in Corinth, right? So I say, oh, you live like a Corinthian. Everyone knows, man, you're, you're a partier. You're crazy. You got all kinds of stuff going on. Now, in the city of Corinth, there was, there was a large mountain on the one side of it. And on this mountain was the great temple of Aphrodite, who was the goddess of love. And in the temple of Aphrodite was a thousand priestesses who were also prostitutes who had come down from the mountain in the temple each night to work their trade in the city of Corinth each night. And so you mix that, that experience, that culture, in with the Greek ideals, right, of individualism, equality, freedom, and distrust of authority. Does that sound anything like the culture we live in today, right? Individualism, equality, freedom, and distrust of authority. I mean, if you go into any urban center today and you ask about, do you, what do you think about the police? There's an immediate distrust of authority. If you ask someone anywhere in America, what do you think of politicians? There's an immediate distrust of authority. I mean, the, the culture that they were living in in this, in this time is unbelievably similar to the culture that we live in today. So as Paul begins to address these issues with the church, he, could, he might as well be writing this letter, you know, 10 days ago. I mean, this is, I feel like this is so relevant for us today because their culture and our culture are unbelievably similar. So the composition of the church was made up of people all coming out of these different lifestyles. With this kind of background, this culture, this thinking, this way of life, people are coming out of that culture and into the church. So how does everyone from that experience really lay their lives down and live as people of God together? That's what Paul is working on. No wonder they had so many problems. These are all young believers trying to figure this thing out, and they still have all this cultural background coming at them. All right. It, it, one of the things also that was interesting for me is when we planted Mercy Hill Church out about six years ago, there's, there are innumerable books on church planning. I mean, you, I went on Amazon, just curious, and typed in church planning, and 9,500 titles came up for church planning. I mean, there is the nuts and bolts of church planning. What do you need to do first? I mean, there, you, you can't imagine the, the, the blogs, the books, the, the websites devoted to church planning. And so as Paul is, is speaking to this young church that he had planted not that long ago, you can imagine him grabbing one of these books off the shelf. Okay, what do I need to do first? But what's amazing, though, is what Paul does in bringing their attention back to Jesus Christ is he doesn't focus on kind of the nuts and bolts of, okay, what do we need to do next? He gives them principles to live by. He says, look, let me give you the big picture here. This is what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And this is the application of the gospel in all these different areas. And I love this about the Apostle Paul because what he does in this is really a blueprint and a model for us as we live our lives out as people of God together. Helps us to see. Now, let's turn over to 1 Corinthians. You're probably already there. 
chapter 1, verse 1, we read verses 1 through 9. And what I need your help to do as I read this is what I want us to see is the way in which Paul emphasizes, and especially in these first nine verses, Jesus Christ. And I want us to just see for a moment as we read through this, the emphasis that Paul gives upon the person of Jesus Christ as he's just giving introductions. This isn't, I mean, this is kind of the opening of the book. This is what he's doing. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him, in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Can you see that? What is He doing over and over and over again? Actually, in every single verse, he's bringing their attention back to Jesus Christ. Even in his greetings, he's bringing their attention back to Jesus Christ. And I love this. I love this. He is emphasizing Jesus Christ over and over and over again. And actually, turn with me over to chapter 2 real quick. I'm going to just show you this quickly, and then we're going to go back to chapter 1. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now this is, we're going to look at the kind of the bookends of 1 Corinthians, okay? The bookends of 1 Corinthians. So chapter 2, verse 1 says this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Now watch this. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Of all the things that Paul could do to plant a church, to prepare them for the, for the, the work ahead and all the, the experiences they're going to have as a body of believers, what did he say? Look, man, this is what I made known to you, that Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now turn with me over to uh, chapter 15, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the other bookend for us. Look at what he says in verses 3 and 4. For I deliver to you as a first importance what I also receive. So this is what Paul's saying. Look, this is a first importance of everything that I proclaim to you. This is of first, of primary importance that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Here it is, the Apostle Paul going through the bookends, really, of of, of 1 Corinthians, and he's talking about, look, there's going to be a, a numerous things in between those chapter 2, verse 2, and chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. 
He's going to cover divisions in the church, sexual immorality, lawsuits against one another, marriage, idolatry, out-of-control worship services, spiritual gifts, resurrection from the dead. And in, in, in all of those things, he begins to apply those two truths, those truths that he, begins, he talks about, chapter 2, chapter 15, and he begins to make applications in all of those different areas of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what I love about this because, again, He's bringing this truth to bear on lives in the church. Corporately and individually, he's bringing to bear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the substance of Paul's ministry to the church. He says, look, you got problems? Look at Jesus. Got lawsuits? Look at Jesus. Sexual morality? Look at Jesus. You want to know about marriage? Look at Jesus. Over and over and over again. The substance of his ministry to the church and our ministry to one another has not changed in 2,000 years. We exercise the same ministry to one another in everything that we do with our actions and with our words. We point one another back to Jesus Christ over and over and over again. That's the substance of our ministry. There is no greater place. There's nothing more, more glorious, more majestic, or wonderful in the person of Jesus Christ who speaks to us, who, who welcomes us, who greets us, who forgives us, who gives us grace and mercy and love, who reaches out to us in every situation. That is our ministry to one another. And that was Paul's ministry to the church in Corinth. All right. That was introduction. I'm going to go through the rest of the sermon quick, okay? So follow with me. I want to just look at three things from these nine verses for us to see and take hold of and begin to make application for our lives. All right. These verses speak to three areas of our lives. The first thing is this. It speaks to our identity. Verse 2. Secondly, it speaks to the substance of our lives. Verse 4. Third, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ in verse 7. So let's look at verse 2 in talking about our identity to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. There is a calling to be holy, to be set apart, to be pulled out for a purpose. And this is what the gospel of Jesus Christ does for us. Jesus Christ has, has, has come to say, look, I am calling you to a new life, a new place, a new people, a new family. That is what Jesus Christ has done. He doesn't leave us where we are. When we trust Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, something supernatural takes place. We're not only forgiven of our sins, but we're also brought into a new family, the family of God. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that we don't remain where we are. We have a new family. And I so appreciate Ryan and Joslyn's testimony that Ryan shared a few weeks ago, the story of adoption. It's a beautiful, beautiful story, but it's a story that, that mirrors the gospel of Jesus Christ. Adoption so, is such a beautiful picture of the gospel. And what it does is it, is it takes us out of one family and brings us into a new family, with a new home, gives us a new name, a new purpose, 
That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ has done. Calls us to be holy. And this word that Paul uses, that he talks about sanctified, right? It's not the typical word that you'd think of as sanctifying, meaning is in our minds we may think of sanctification as being this process of growing to become more like Jesus Christ. He doesn't use that word. He uses a word meaning it's, it's happened. We've been sanctified, not being sanctified. We've been sanctified. It's, it's this one-time thing that took place that we are holy because of Jesus Christ. We are holy because of Jesus Christ and His righteousness has now been given to us when we trusted upon Him. So as we stand before the Lord, we have been sanctified in Jesus Christ. We have been given His righteousness, has clothed us. It has given us a new name and a new people. He's filled us with His Holy Spirit. That is what God has done. He's brought us to a new identity in Jesus Christ. We have been sanctified in Jesus Christ. We have called, we have been made holy because of Jesus. Number two, let's look at the substance of our lives in verse four. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. There is a grace that is given. There is a grace that is lavished upon his people. There is a grace that cannot be stopped, a grace that, that, that is pervasive and it, it seeps into every area and every nook and cranny of our lives. It's the grace of God. It preserves his people, it sustains us. No matter what we do or where we go, the grace of God sustains us. When I was 15, uh, I took, I had my permit, not my license, my permit. Now, if you've got your permit, I don't know if things have changed today as they were back when I was 15, but when you had your permit, you could not drive without an adult. You had to drive with someone over the age of 18 or 21 or something like that. So when you had your permit, you couldn't load the car up with a bunch of your friends and just go driving around because you're all 15 years old, right? Well, one night, one of my friends had to get back home before like midnight, and they're, we're all at our house, and my parents are sleeping. Sorry, Mom. But I'm like, well, let's jump in the car. We had a station wagon at the time because... Everyone had station wagons back in the day, or maybe that was just us, I don't know, but we all load in the car, you know, a bunch of us, we bring my buddy back, we're heading back home, and we look in the rear view, and sure enough, there's a cop behind us. Now, what we didn't know then, what I know now, is if you, if you start, like, freaking out and start trying to drive down alleys and try to lose the cop, that's a sure sign that you're going to get pulled over, because you... <laughs> It just it doesn't work, right? It just doesn't work in the movies. It doesn't work in real life. So sure enough, as a 15-year-old, like, we got to like, ditch this cop because we are clearly, we're, I'm going to get in big trouble for this. It's past curfew. We're all, in, all loaded up in our station wagon, a whole bunch of us. No one's got a license. I mean, it's, it's bad. So we drive down an alley and take another turn down another alley, and we might have like, turned the lights off. I mean, we just try to do everything we could, but sure enough, the cop wasn't fooled, believe it or not. And uh, some kid who's been driving for like two weeks is going to you know, outrun a police officer. And so we get pulled over. The cop comes up to the car. And by this time, we're like two blocks from my house. The cop looks in the car, and there's a whole bunch of us in there. And there's me, you know, kind of see your license and your, 
you know, registration, and I'm, I'm like, I don't even know what the, I don't even know what a registration is. I mean, do you like, is that in the car somewhere? Is that like on the license? I mean, I don't know what that is. And so I give him my, my permit, which is a piece of paper. Like, this is all I have. Uh, I, I think there's an insurance card in the glove box or something, you know. And the cop looks at me, and he's just, I could tell. I'm like, look, we're two, two blocks from my house. And he said, okay, just go back to your house and don't do this again kind of thing. I'm like, man, like it's, it's grace. It's grace. I did not deserve that. And, um, but the grace of God does not give us what we deserve. The grace of God does not give us what we deserve. His mercy is new every day. It prevails every single day. The grace of God avails to us. And every day we are invited to draw near to Jesus Christ. No matter what we've done or where we've been or what we've seen or what we've said or the relationships we've blown up or the destruction we see in our own lives or the brokenness, we are invited over and over and over again. His mercies are new every day to draw near to Jesus Christ for forgiveness and grace in our time of need. That is God's promise to us. That's a blood-bought promise that we can draw near to Jesus Christ no matter what we've done, where we've been. And that's why one of the reasons we celebrate communion every week. It is a physical reminder that we are invited back to the table no matter what kind of week you have had what kind of week I have had, I am invited back to the table again to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done. To celebrate his reminders. We take the communion. We are reminded his body was broken for my sins. His blood poured out for all of my brokenness and all my failings over and over and over again. It is the goodness and mercy of God. But he also, in verses 4 through 9, he begins to celebrate what God has done. He's not just talking some, some language that you can't understand about the grace of God and what it looks like. He begins to talk about the way that God has given, has lavished his grace upon the church in Corinth with their understanding of spiritual gifts, and the presence of God, God working in, in and amongst them. And it's got me thinking about Mercy Hill. And the grace of God that we've seen here. We talk about fostering. Many people here are doing safe families or fostering children. Other people adopting children. The missions trips that we've celebrated this summer. The significant giving towards Nepal and China and church plants. The opening of doors to the international students. It is a beautiful thing, and it's a testimony of the grace of God in our midst. As we look at that, as we look at the things that has transpired over this past year, we celebrate those things, we think, man, it's not because we've got our act together or because we've got so much money or because we've, we're able to maneuver our way through all these situations. And Just like Luke was talking about the international students, it is the Lord who's opened the doors for us. And he welcomes us to walk through them. That's what God has done. 
It is the grace of God in our midst. We celebrate God's grace as well. Then lastly, number three, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse, verse 7. So that you are not lacking any spiritual gifts as you await for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking here about the triumphal return of Jesus Christ. As you look through the, the letters of Paul, this day of the Lord, this returning of Jesus Christ, it does an amazing amount of framing his theology and the way that he talks to the church is always in view of the return, the imminent and sudden return of Jesus Christ. I think we've lost some of this. It's, it's hard in our culture and our day and age to really keep in focus the, the, the triumphal return of Jesus Christ. It is, it is coming. It is Jesus Christ sits upon the throne. All of history will be wrapped up in him. It's like when I was watching the series 24, right? Jack Bauer saves the world like over and over and over again, right? Well, I'm in episode three of like season one, right? And the way this works is this guy's got 24 hours to, you know, save the world from a nuclear attack or something like that. I think it's the same thing over every season. He's got a, this nuclear attack and he's got to, you know, save the world. And so, see, you know, there's 24 episodes in a season, and I'm watching episode number three, and I'm sitting here getting super nervous. And this, I, I had to stop watching the show because it, it was just too nerve-wracking for me. I couldn't take it any longer. But uh, it's episode three. I'm like, this guy, he's going to die now. He, what happens if Jack Bauer dies and the, the, you know, the nuclear bomb goes off? And just and then I have to stop and remind myself, look, the show doesn't end in episode three when he dies, right? It goes through the whole season. So obviously he lives. Not only that, but there's like eight seasons. So clearly he makes it through every single time. He doesn't die. And I've got to remind myself this truth that, look, there's season two and he's in it. So I know that he doesn't die in this third episode of season one. But in the same way, as we get caught up in the, in the daily grind of our lives, we need to stop and remind ourselves that Jesus is coming back again, that he will return, that he is triumphant, that this is not our home, that our home is with him in a, for eternity. And if we lose focus of that, we get so caught up in the episode three of season one that we, we forget about the fact that there is more episodes and that Jesus Christ is going to return. It's so easy for us to forget about that. And I love the fact how he continues to bring our attention back to the fact that Jesus Christ is returning again. We need to be reminded of that as well. He is returning. He is coming back. There is a day that he, we will stand before his, the judgment seat clothed in his righteousness for all who believe, confident, that his work was complete and finished for us. Not only us, but the whole world. That is what we need to keep reminding ourselves. So, in ministering to one another, what does this look like to minister to one another as a, as a, as a corporate people and as individuals? We need to point each other back to Jesus in every circumstance, in every situation, in every opportunity, 
we point each other back to Jesus. That is what we do over and over and over again. The songs that we sing on Sunday mornings point us back to Jesus. There's a certain theme of every single song. It's Jesus. That's intentional. We're just not singing about flowers or whatever is out there. We sing about Jesus. Every song points us back to Jesus. Everything we do as a ministry, as a church, points back to Jesus. But in order for us to do that, in order for us to really be able to minister to one another, we ourselves need to be full of the life of Jesus Christ. And that's the challenge for us, isn't it? We get so busy and so consumed with with the affairs of this life and all the responsibilities that we have in this world. And a lot of them good. Coaching soccer, work, family time, functions, you know, at with with our with our neighbors and all these other things. We get so busy that we forget that Jesus Christ is the center of everything. So that our challenge for us is that we would meditate, consider, read, apply God's word into every area of our lives. There would be something that just is always in the back of our mind and on the tip of our tongue. We talk with one another as we, as we minister to one another, as we hang out with, with, with other people, as we go places, as our kids are in children's ministry, as whatever is going on, that Jesus Christ is the center of everything. It makes me think of the movie Inception. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, Inception, but this movie's one of those movies, I don't need to go into details, but it's one of those movies that two days later you're still trying to figure out what happened and how everything worked out. You ever, you ever watch a movie like that where days later you're still kind of affected by the movie and you're still trying to think, how did that work? i got to see that one again because that's just really, my mind's still kind of, still kind of cooked. I, I just don't, I don't get it. But would you, it sticks with you. The point of that is to say this. If we ourselves are being filled with the Word of God and the the Spirit of God and the purposes of God in our own lives, that is something that's going to be always with us. As we talk with one another and as we're with one another, that is going to begin to come out in our normal conversation. It's not like, hey, here's church time or small group time. Now we've got to talk about the Lord. Or now we're at church, we need to talk about Jesus. But as soon as we walk through those doors, now it's my time or just... Real life happens and we just move on with our lives. This is something for us that saturates everything that we do. Then everything that we do, that the life of Jesus Christ begins to come out. And that is our challenge for us. That the ministry, the example that Paul sets forth and the way that he points one another back to Jesus Christ is the same ministry that we ourselves as Mercy Hill and as the people here that we are, would be the very people of God who administer to one another in the exact same way. Point each other back to Jesus Christ over and over and over again. We're going to close with communion. And I'm just going to pray for us. And then if the ushers can just distribute the elements, I'd appreciate that. And I want us to just take a moment, and as they're passing it out, just to take a moment to reflect, take a moment to pray. Ask the Lord, God, if there's areas of our lives that we need to repent, that we've filled our lives with other things, that 
that we've been consumed with something else, that we would repent and say, Lord, you are worthy of all of my attention and all of my focus and all of my ministry and all of my gaze would be upon you. We'll ask the Lord to help us in that. And we'll also ask the Lord to forgive us where we've taken our attention off him and believe that as we receive the elements, as we celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are invited to come back to him for his mercy and his grace, which are new for us every single day. And Larry will lead us in taking those. So Lord Jesus, God, as we, as we consider Jesus, the, the, the beauty of your forgiveness and your mercy, the invitation that you've given to us, the kindness and, and goodness, Lord, that you have lavished upon us, God, we are thankful. God, we want to say thank you for your love. We say thank you for your grace. We say thank you for your pervasive pursuit of us. Lord Jesus, we want to give you our lives. Lord, we trust you with all of who we are. Jesus, because you are worthy. One day you are returning. So Lord Jesus, we love you. We celebrate you. We worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.